Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of The Paddock and the Pavilion. I hope you've been enjoying our weekly shows, which have now reached over 25 countries. Do subscribe to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us and let your friends know. For today's guest, we have gone local and will be interviewing John Berry, the Newmarket trainer who is famous for training the grey horse who has his own Twitter page, the Brighton specialist, Roy Rocket. Enjoy the show. Hello, John. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Uh, Pleased to have you on the show. Thank you. Pleased to be on it. Well, reading about you, John, you've certainly had a varied sort of career. You've been a trainer now for 25 years. You're a pundit in print and on television. Uh, you've been the mayor of Newmarket, and you also won the Newmarket Town Plate in 2011. And um, at the moment, uh, the stable must be buzzing with your two recent wins at Thursk and Chepstow. Yes, only training a small amount of horses. You inevitably have, at various times, extended or semi-extended periods without any success. So um, to get two winners in a week after quite a long absence from the winners' enclosure was terrific. Yeah, everyone must, it must give everyone a lift at the stable. Very much so, yes. It's only, um, there are myself and three others work here full time. So it's, you know, there's every horse in the stable, everyone that works here is involved with to a greater or lesser extent. You know, you, you could work in a stable of 100 or 200 horses and see the stable had a winner and probably not even know what colour the horse was. But in a, in a smaller unit, you know, everyone, I would say, is involved in every horse to a greater or lesser extent, you know. Some, some, sometimes it might be one one rides a horse every day, or you know just leads him in and out of the field. But yeah, yeah, it, it was it makes a big big difference to the sort of general feeling of joie de vivre within the yard. Yes, and, and for for the listeners of of this show all around the world, it's very much a hands-on operation with yourself uh, riding out every day. And I was reading that the stable where you are at Beverly House, um, there was a Grand National winner trained there in 1923. Yes, I think this is, I, at one point I was saying I think this might be the only stable in the world to have had a British Triple Crown and a Grand National winner trained in it. But then it dawned on me that Bally Doyle is also in the same boat. Um, but George Blackwell, who trained here in the, at the turn of the 20th century, trained the Triple Crown winner in, 
1902, 1903, I can't remember off the top of my head, I can't remember oh, this which rock. Roxand. Rock Roxand, rock yeah, yeah Roxand. I think he obviously probably his success, boosted by the success of Roxand, he moved to larger premises, Lagrange, on the corner of the Fordham and Snailwell Road the following year. But as he was winding down towards retirement, he came back here in 1920, and then he trained the Grand National winner in 1923, Sergeant Murphy, before finally retiring in 1928 and handing over to his son-in-law, Henry Jellis. So yeah, the Triple Crown winner and a Grand National winner. And the Grand National winner must have been a really, Sergeant Murphy, really local triumph, because he was amateur-ridden by the local vet, um, Captain Tuppy Bennett, who was came from, was born between Newmarket and Barry St Edmunds and was a vet in Newmarket and I, I presume was um, George Blackwell's vet. So, yeah, you're saying about the triple, about the time plate. I was lucky enough in 2011 to win it in more than one role. I was owner, trainer and rider. But I'm presuming that Tuppy Bennett was um, George Blackwell's vet. So it'd be, that would be a sort of interesting dual role in which to win the Grand National as, as the horse's vet and his rider simultaneously. But no, I mean, it's a wonderful thing about Newmarket. You've got history around every corner and we're lucky enough to have quite a lot of it in this stable. The last cl- British classic winner in, in this stable was the Henry Jellis trained uh, 2000 Guineas winner in 1946, who's predictably off the top of my head, the name escapes me. I can show you where he was trained. But yeah, the ambition has got to be to get another one. But of course, it's easier said than done. Yeah, well, it's nice to have some connection with Bally Doyle, anyway. So, uh, now going back to your beginnings, you, you grew up in the Scottish borders of Hoyk, or in Hoyk. When I when I saw that, it reminded me of Bill McLaren, the rugby commentator. But um, what got you interested in, in horses and racing? Well, there's a really strong, you know, passion for horses and racing in the Scottish borders. At the time, well, I was born in Hoyk and grew up near Lillersleaf, we're about seven miles away, between the villages of Lillersleaf and Denham. When I was a boy, there were two, well, one very successful national hunt trainer in De- just outside Denham, Ken Oliver, another one, Harry Bell, another one, John Ledbetter, who trained the Grand National winner in 1978, Rub Stick. Elsewhere in the borders, Dick Allen was training, Donald Fairgreave, a uh, per- permit holder called Pud Reynoldson, who trained the Scottish Grand National winner in the late, 70- late 70s or early 80s, probably King Con. Hunting very popular, the common riding very popular, you know, the riding at agricultural shows very popular. So, yeah, I was, I grew up on a farm and pretty much all the farmers there like racing, like horses and like racing and, and you know, involved in, in horse sports to some extent. And, yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family where we liked riding, we liked racing. And so the sporting life, you know, we had ponies when I was a child, the sporting life was always on the table. Um, when I was racing on the t- television, that was always on. So... Yeah, I grew up, grew up interested in horses and interested in racing. Of course, I could have gone the other way. My brother is the exact opposite, would have no interest at all. And he's a lecturer in classics at Edinburgh University. So I suppose when it's when it's that around you as a child, you'll either go one way or the other. And between, between the two of us, we, we did both. And so you've worked in you worked in racing since you left school and you originally wanted to be a jockey. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always surprised when you get young people. You know, of my generation, young boys, because it was a rarity for uh, girls to harbour ambitions to be, be professional jockeys at the time. But you know, nowadays, being a jockey is, you know, it's 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 a non-gender specific term. If someone's a jockey, you're, there's likely to be a woman as a man. It's it's it, you know, it's fully open to both genders. But yeah, I'm always surprised when you find 
someone, a young person who loves racing and wants to make a career in it, who doesn't start off wanting to be a jockey because, you know, it's uh, it's the the, the the obvious thing, really. And I just had enough rides to sort of satisfy my curiosity and confirm to myself that I wasn't quite good enough. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a good rider, but as a young, when I was young, I just wasn't quite good enough to make it as a professional jockey and probably not brave enough, really. I didn't really enjoy the fall, so... Yeah, that didn't last very long, and ended up staying within the game and drift, drifting towards training, but not specific, not specifically pointing myself towards it, just drifted towards it. And you worked with Andy Tunnell, Luca Kamani, and Ian Matthews. Uh, did they give you a good grounding before you started on your own? Oh, I mean, I, Andy, I couldn't have had a better first job than Andy Tunnell. He'd been a terrific jump jockey before he retired. He'd retired about from race riding about two years before I joined the stable. I mean, he retired probably earlier than he would have done because his father died. He was stable jockey to his father and he took over his father's stable. His father, Bob Tunnell, had always been a great supporter of you know, promoting the young jockeys within the stable. Andy Tunnell, very much in the same boat. And, yeah, wonderful stable to work in. And, you know, by bonus, you know, the icing on the cake because I got a, got a few race rides as well. And I couldn't, couldn't have started anywhere better. And of the two flat trainers I worked for, I wasn't with Ian Matthews very long. I, kept, I went to work for him. I came, I, came, I came to Newmarket in 1987 to work for him over the summer and ended up staying in Newmarket and moved on and had three terrific years with Luca Kamani when the stable was on a real high and the dual derby when a Kayazi would have been the best horse when I was there. But, I mean, it, uh, it, was, a, it was as good a stable as there was. In, I mean, Luca was never champion trainer, but it was Henry Cecil was champion trainer at the time, but it, it was as good a stable as there was anywhere in the country and it was a wonderful place to work in in every respect and you started training in 1995 how did that come about working on your own well i just sort of drifted towards it really I, after i left luca went to australia for a year and i came back and more by accident than design i found myself working on a stud which is wood distant stud which is now part of sheikh Mohammed's empire but at the time was owned by mr yong from singapore and i worked there for about two and a half years and sort of was missing missing the racing i i had my own horse which my uh, a filly who'd shown nothing which my mother had, had owned and had in training with maurice camacho and she gave her to me sort of because she couldn't uh, she knew i was missing the training i wanted to fiddle around with the horse and she probably couldn't think of thinking about what else to do with the horse because she the horse uh-huh. was going nowhere and i had the horse in training with hugh collingridge who trained in the stable at the time and he the great thing about working on a stud is you don't start work too early we didn't start work till eight o'clock in the morning so Hugh very kindly let me take take my horse out before an exciser before I went to work every day, and I don't know how because in every other race she showed every other race she had she showed no ability but she did win a did win a selling hurdle on a first run over jump at fifty to one at Pontwell, and of course that being closely involved with the training of her that sort of boosted my self confidence I'd say probably over boosted my self confidence to uh-huh. make me think that I might be I might be capable of doing it myself and then I sort of was bold enough to start bold enough to take out a training license in 1995 and I mean I went I went there with a very negative mindset I went there on the basis of if it doesn't I've got nothing to lose if it doesn't work out I'm sure I'll be able to get a job job on the stud back again and I mean I, I wouldn't fully say that it has worked out but it's worked out well enough for me to continue doing it for yeah. quite a long time 25 years yeah and your first runner was at Fakenham on St Patrick's Day in 1995, uh, which way north? What do you remember about that day? Well, she she was uh, she was the filly over the mare I've just been talking about, who had 
won the selling hurdle at Fontwell the previous season was ridden by Vince Smith, who actually subsequently rode another 50 to 1 winner, 50 to 1 winner of a claiming hurdle at Plumpton on a filly which I owned and trained a couple of years later. And Vince is now Victoria Smith and rode Roy Rocket in a charity race at Warwick a couple of years ago. So that's a that's a friendship and association that's been going back a long time. But Vince couldn't ride which way north at Fakenham because he was working for Saeed Bin Saror at the time. He wasn't getting many rides as a jockey, so his main income was work rider. And he'd gone out to Dubai for the winter with, with Saeed. He reckoned he was getting so few rides over jumps that he was happy to miss the winter and be out in Dubai. So, so yeah, he, he couldn't ride the filly. And Shane Lyons, who was the younger brother of the former jumps jockey, Joe Lyons, Oh, the trainers who had recently yeah. retired and gone back to Ireland. Yeah, had gone back to Ireland and started training in County Meath in Ireland. And Shane, his younger brother, was still a conditional jockey in in Britain. And and, and he's now back in Ireland with Joe and his Joe's assistant stroke travelling head lad. And yeah, Shane Lyons wrote her. And well, <laughs> I actually remember her pulling up, but running so badly that she pulled up. But the form book fortunately confirms that she did at least get round. She she was she got round eventually. But yeah, that was. It was a start. I was. I remember the excitement of trainer having a first runner, but the excitement was the participation rather than result, as it turned out. But no, it was good to get started. It was. A, it was Cheltenham Gold Cup Day, the Thursday, the final day of the Cheltenham Festival that year, and yeah, to fake in them local course, and yeah, it was good. It was. It was exciting to get to get the operation going. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it, it came. Th- she came thirteen of fifteen, but um, you had to wait until the seventh of June at Beverly for your first winner what do you remember about uh, your recollections of the 7th of june 1995 well i'd say it's the best birthday i've ever had best birthday present i've ever had my birthday is the 7th of june and it's the only oh, time I've, only time i've ever trained a winner on my birthday probably the majority of birthdays i haven't had a runner i've had a few other times when i've had a runner but it's the only time i've trained a winner and it being my first winner was you can imagine as good a birthday as you could have i had actually it's contradicted i had actually trained a winner few days previously but in my mind I hadn't because Chris Dwyer who's been a long-standing friend uh, former former jockey who was in the process of well he was still race riding at the time but he was in the process of starting training at, at the same time and I'd started my process of applying for a license earlier than Chris he was still it was still a jockey's license and he was a work rider for Michael Stout at the time and he was assembling a handful of horses and I was assembling a handful of horses so uh, there was a period of a couple of months where they were under my care while he was waiting for his license to be granted and one of them won trained by me ridden by Chris but in my mind I don't feel that I could take the credit take the credit for that I'd be I would be it would be unfair on Chris if I were to as I say take 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 the credit for that victory but that was a horse called Serrano's lad at Linkfield and actually then shortly uh Maybe three weeks later, there was another winner uh, called Silkdale, who won at the July course at Newmarket on a Saturday. Chris actually didn't ride Silkdale, Gary Carter rode her. And she won at Hayduck the following Thursday, and Chris's license had come through in the interim. So I trained her when she won at Linkfield. I won won at Newmarket, and then Chris trained her when she won at Hayduck the following week. And the reason why I've gone on this slight tangent is because her, her Newmarket win actually achieved a degree of fame subsequently because she beat Isterbrack. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was runner-up. I think he was, he was, he was 
at the time was owned by Sheikh Hamdam and trained by John Gosden. And of course, he went on to win three champion great glory, owned, yeah, owned by J.P. McManus, trained by Aidan O'Brien to win three champion hurdles. So, yeah, that's that, that, that's sort of through the spring and early summer of that year. That's how the operation got off the ground. And I subsequently trained another winner that meant an awful lot to me that summer. Well, Lorelei Lee, the filly at Beverly, one, Kieran Fallon rode her. She, she won another race at Beverly later that season with a, a Hong Kong-based apprentice who was over in England for the summer called Simon Yim. But uh, there's another winner which I remember equally fondly for the summer from that summer, which I was called Statistician, who won, also ridden by Kieran Fallon, at Catrick, in, was owned by my mother, owned and bred by my mother, and she died the following February. So I th- that was, uh, I was very pleased to train a winner for her before she died. She was such, she, she was able to go to Catrick, she was suffering from terminal cancer at the time, and as I say, she died about five months later, five, six months later. So, but yeah, that was some very, that's how it, it got off the get, but the operation got off the ground, and left a few left a few very special memories so you had you had more than one first winner by the, by the sounds of it uh, were you well, yes yeah. <laughs> luca kamani trained his first winner in may 1976 at york when three legs won the duke of york stakes you moved to beverly house in 1997 now looking up your figures um your best seasons have been 1999 2011 and 2017 on on per winners um and you've 100, 150 winners. What are your highlights, and what has been the best ever days racing during that during your 25 years? Well, the be- best ever days. Uh, paradox is all the way through. My best ever days racing is a victory which doesn't appear in the form book because that's the aforementioned time plate win as owner, trainer, and rider in the world's old. It's not certain it's the world oldest race because the Kipling Coates Derby in Yorkshire has been also been going for a long time, but. Uh, Newmarket Time Plate, which started in, is it 1666 or 1665? I think 1666. That's there's no sort of official documentation for the Kipling Coates Derby going back all the way, but there is for the Newmarket Time Plate, and so it's the world it's the world's oldest documented race, and it's great for me because you don't have to have a jockey's license to ride in it. So, yeah, that would that would that would be my most special days racing, but and it is actually on a race day at Newmarket. But it doesn't appear in the form book because it's not a not it's not run under jockey club rules because its jockey its rules predate the formation of the jockey club in the early 1700s. Uh, so yeah, that would be my most special day at the races. You you wouldn't be able to find if you leave through the form book. But oh, I mean, there's to be honest on on a day you have a winner that particular day at the time you'd say this is as good as it gets. It's there was Chris Wright had a great thing a great saying in the Racing Post recently i think he said racing is 90 percent disappointment 10 percent excitement and one percent sheer relation and the sheer relation you get when you're having a winner at the time that that's as good as it gets and i mean if if, if you were training a vast string of horses you actually reach a point where you know they the winners almost come along automatically and there's something going wrong if you're not training winners on a sort of regular conveyor belt but when you're only training a small number of largely undistinguished horses which is the case for me and, and realistically for the majority of for more than half the trainers but of course you know the majority of them if you just just read the headlines you'd almost overlook that because you sort of only just really read about the headline trainers but yeah if you're operating at the lower levels every winner is very special but uh i mean one what my, my first black type winner when large s in 1998 i don't 
Yes, yeah, on, on our Gold Cup day, one the Duneside Cup, a listed race ridden by John Egan, who still rides me, uh, still rides me for this day. He's been riding for me for 23 years. And yeah, that was, of course, you're young and cocky. That was only my fourth season. I thought, oh, we've listed winner now. It's going to be um, easy. Going to be easy, and the horse actually was beaten in a photograph in a Group Two race. Well, he was actually placed in four Group Two races. One, one only beaten in a photo finish, beaten a photo finish in the Yorkshire Cup the following year. You know, at the time you're thinking, oh, this is going to be very easy, and you know that was special. It, I'd have probably appreciated it even even more if I'd known that it was going to be the only black type winner I'd trained in my first quarter century as a trainer. But yeah, that was special. But you know, a lot has been a lot, a lot of a lot of very happy days. Our stable star at the moment, Roy Rocket, every won nine races at Brighton. He's a real folk here at Brighton. Well, he was or, the next thing I was going to ask you. I've got it written down. We couldn't uh, interview John Berry without mentioning the star of your yard in Roy Rocket, who's, who I read didn't win a race for 16 races, but now has won nine races at Brighton. Yeah, never won elsewhere. He's come, he, last year, he came close to winning at Windsor. He's a close second at Windsor, but he's still never won anywhere else Brighton seems to suit him but yeah I mean he's a real real folk hero there and as particularly as his the more win times he's won there the more more of a following is developed so all his wins have been very special and arguably becoming even more special as as, as they went on and for me all the more so for the, the fact that I bred him so he's a 10 year old now so you know he's effectively been on it's 11 years ago that I had the mare covered by the stallion to produce him so you know he's been he's been a big part of my life for, for a long time now and yeah he's he's provided us some wonderful days and all the more special for sharing them with larry and iris mccarthy who are daughter and mother i've trained for the family since i think 1998 probably joe who joe the late joe mccarthy who's larry's father and well iris is his widow i've trained for the family since then and they are I've been for some really nice people. I've been very lucky in that respect, but um, they're not the only people I'd make this comment about, but they are the perfect people to train for, and it's mm-hmm. to share the joy with them makes it doubly special. And you ride Roy every day, is that right? Yes. Well, this year I've changed around a little bit. Jana Trinakova, who works for me, I don't, know, I don't really know why it came about, but I went through a period of several years, and he was a difficult ride. Well, he was an easy enough ride once you got to know him. But he's a type of horse where if you rode him every day, you got used to him. And, and if you just swapped the riders around, it was a nuisance for everyone because, you you know, no one could really get used to him. So, so I rode him every day for a few years. And um, this year, I've actually changed it around and I only ride him occasionally and Yana rides him most days. And, well, I, I, can, I can save my blushes by saying he hasn't won since Yana's become his regular rider. <laughs> but in her, in her defence, he hasn't run at Brighton since right since Jan has become her, his regular rider because Brighton hasn't been racing this year. But as I, say, I can spare my blushes by saying he, he hasn't won since Jan has been riding him because it does pain me to say it, that I actually think he behaves a little bit better when she, <laughs> when she rides him than when I do. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, but he's, he, well, he's, he's, he's such a, he's such a, such a, such a stable, such a stable favourite. And in fact, he's Snow White as well, obviously, and he's got a funny name and, and he's really, you know, he's the type of horse you just, you don't need to leave his stable door shut so you can just leave it open he can just wander around as he likes he's he's he's, he's sort of creature well sent sent the centaur was the creature from greek mythology that was half human half horse wasn't it and if i sort of meet someone that i think is just the ultimate horseman i sort of think of them as a centaur that they're half human half horse but roy's the reverse type of centaur that he's almost half horse half human 
And no plans to retire him yet, then? No. Oh, no, we've got to keep him going for when Brighton comes back, which hopefully will be next year. Oh, but, actually, yeah. actually, but even without that, he's 10 years young. He's, he didn't start winning. Till, he never won until he was five. And because he took an awful long time to grow up and, you know, he's, he's, he turned white very young. But other than the fact that he's a grey that's turned white, you'd think he was only half the age than he was. And he's a very sound horse and a very, very enthusiastic horse. Yeah, he'll, at some point, he'll start giving out signs. He's not quite as good as he used to be, but, you know, that's that's not the be-all and end-all of everything. Um, you know, well, he's, he's not giving any signs of the fact that he, he wants to take life easy when you, you know when you, when you, when he does it'll become apparent and we'll stop racing him but no it's 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 a no it it's not even any e- i wouldn't even say it's an easy decision to take to keep racing him at the moment because there's no reason to take the decision because it's not not giving not giving not giving any signs to suggest that the, the decision's even on the agenda at the moment well that's good to hear let's hope he um uh, makes it to uh, uh, 10 or this year or if not make it to 10 at Brighton next year. That 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 would be that be so that'd be so special. There's another there's another uh, Brighton Brighton specialist, Paula Victoire, who they were neck and they level pegging all the way through. Who did win a race at Brighton last season, took him on to 10. And um, yeah, so I mean, he's it's unrealistic to think he will ever become the winning most horse because you know to do that he'd need to get on to 11. But I mean, for a long time now, I've been saying if he never wins another race, it doesn't matter because he's already done more than that. But yeah, if 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 he could, if he could get on to ten, that'd, you know, that'd be a wonderful milestone. But if he doesn't, he doesn't. And, you know, this, well, well, for the pleasure he's given, we're well ahead on the deal already. And the nice thing is, he's he's well well ahead of while well, he's been getting great pleasure from it too. Well, that's the most important thing. Uh, we come on to our, our favourites round now. This can be favourites of all time. Let's find out John's favourites. Who is who has been your favourite horse? Well, if I look in, if I look in the wider world, I would say Shergar. I was lucky enough to be at Ascot when he won the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Diamond Stakes in July 1981, when I was 15, and of course he'd already won the Derby effortlessly, effortlessly, with a slightly less flamboyant victory in the Irish Derby. I was cheeky enough, you know, the the wonderful old, unsaddling enclosure with those lions and the marble steps that's got sadly gone forever. Um, the iconic winner's enclosure. As he was led away in the ropes, you know, nowadays there's double railings of white plastic railings and everything. Before it was just a rope separating the horse from the crowd, through a crowd. I was cheeky enough to lean over, lean across the rope and pat him as he walked, as he was being led away. And, you know, for a racing obsessed 15 year old boy from Scotland to be at Ascot seeing one of the greatest horses ever winning a great race and patting him afterwards was, was very, very special. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say of the wider world, I'd say Shergar, but, you know, the, the horses that you're involved with personally, albeit that they're racing at a much lower level, they're, you know, they, they, they become so spe- so special to you. But at the same time, nominating one is a little bit like asking, a little bit like saying to a parent, which, child, which your children do you love the most? But, you know, the, 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 ones, that, the ones that stay around for a long time and do the most, you, never, you inevitably become closer to them. But Roy Rocket will always have a very special place in my heart as as well, dear Kadushki, the, the horse who, who enabled me to, as I say, win the time plate in three different roles. But yeah, you you know, there's there's, there's an awful lot of there's quite a lot of horses that special places in my heart. Who would who would be your favourite ever jockey? Well, I said as I was saying, John Egan's been riding for me for 23 years, and 
yeah, I think in a general sense, it's quite easy for trainers and jockeys to fall out. Uh, <laughs> when you, when announcement comes through, the jockey's been appointed stable jockey to uh, a trainer. You know, the look in the paper ten years later, and you've rare to see them still riding for them. So when it, when when you're still calling it's calling on a jockey to ride you for 23 years later, that says a lot. I've, I, he's been he's been a good friend to me. He's a wonderfully helpful jockey. And he's a wonderfully good jockey, and I've got a huge amount of both affection and respect for him. Kieran Fallon, whom we mentioned earlier, absolutely terrific jockey. When I was growing up, Willie Carson was my favourite jockey because he was champion he's jockey. Scotsman. He was Scotsman. Yeah, he was champion jockey. He was, he was he was Scottish. Yeah, yeah. So you automatically loved the. You automatically honed in on the, on the Scottish jockey. National Hunt jockeys. When I was young, my mother had horses with. Gordon Richards, so Ron Barry and John Ron Barry was coming to the end of his great career at the time when I was starting to follow racing, and John Joe O'Neill was just getting going. You know the two great jockeys that rode for Gordon Richards at the time. So, yeah, they they'd both be they you know great great respect for admiration and respect for for both of those. Yeah, but you know there's we're we're blessed in this sport to have many many people who have excelled and haven't just excelled. They've been, you know, come across as thoroughly admirable people in the in the process, and you know, you 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 couldn't you couldn't po- you couldn't possibly make that observation without sort of saying, you know, Tony McCoy t- has typified what's the very best of everything professional jockey should be, and but you know, as I say, we've we've been very. If you if you look around the jockeys ranks at any time, if you wanted to find someone that you could admire, you've never had to look very far. What about your favourite race course? <laughs> I'm pretty fond of Brighton, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I love Brighton, and I've I've been very fond of Brighton for a lot longer than Roy Rocket's been alive. Uh, we've had some very happy memories there. Lawrence Wadey, whom I've trained for for my entire career, he's from Brighton. He actually lives out in the Far East and has lived out in the Far East uh, for 30 years now. But he's from Brighton, and we've we'd, we'd always. Well, not always, but we've often tried to aim some of his horses at Brighton and Ethics Girl won the Brighton Cup, whom he owned. Um, so, and you know, I've got many happy race days, many happy race days, including some when Lawrence has been there. Grew up near Kelso, it was a great place to start off going racing with your parents as a little boy. And yeah, I've always enjoyed, always enjoyed going to Musselburgh. First time I went there, it was a flat only race course, and it was called Edinburgh when I, you know, when I was a, when I was a schoolboy. And it was a really, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 at the time. It was a really low-grade course at the time. It's turned itself inside out in recent years, renamed Musselburgh, because it is actually Musselburgh and it's owned by East Lothian Council. So it was probably slightly unfair on East Lothian Council for Edinburgh to get the credit. But it's a terrific, it's been a terrific race course for a long time now. Very, very well run. And yeah, I've, I've, we've, had, we've been lucky there. I've actually had two horses who've broken a track broken track record there, but actually the same track record. A horse called Warring Kingdom broke the two mile track record there in nineteen ninety-nine. And then a few years later, Jack Dawson broke the two mile track record on, on, on the flat. Uh, I think it was it was still flat only at the time. Yeah, they, they we've been very lucky at Musselburgh. Haven't had a runner there for a few years now, but I must put that right. And Jack Dawson actually he gave a he with some, he's a lovely horse. With some, we've got a picture down below of him winning it over hurdles at Southall with Tony McCoy on him, and he's jumping. You can't, he's stretched out so far you can't even see the jump in it. He's just clearing it by miles, and he actually won, won a hurdle race at 
uh, Kelso one day. So yeah, Kelso, 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 Musselburgh, and Brighton are three courses of which I've, you know, I've got a absolutely brimful memory bank of happy memories of all three of them. Thank you. Uh, changing tack a bit, what, what's your favourite other sport? Well, I love cricket, but I'm a bit of a phony saying that because I can't play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I played a bit at prep school, but not good enough to. I wasn't good enough to get in the te- in the school team. But at public school, in the summer, the cricket and the sport, we'd sport every afternoon during the week, and you either did cricket or athletics, and it wasn't it wasn't either or. You couldn't do both. Um, you certainly you couldn't you certainly couldn't if you're doing one seriously you couldn't do both because you'd be having to do it every day. And I was quite a good runner as a schoolboy, 1500 meters in the summer and cross country in the winter. So in the summer term, I'd be doing the athletics training every afternoon. So ended up, you know, for the second half of my schooling, never playing at all. And so yeah, yeah if I was called up for a cricket match now, it would have I would. The only way I could be of any asset to a side is if they were struggling to get 11 people together and there was they had a few good batsmen, so there was no possibility of the tail-enders being called in to, called in to bat and, and they had enough bowlers that there was no requirement to fill a bowling rank and the only requirement was to turn up and be the 11th person on an otherwise, otherwise short-of-numbers team. But, yeah, I love cricket. I love watching it. I love reading. I've got... I've got great cricket books on the on the bookshelf love love reading about it love you know i'm a member of the norfolk cricket cricket society and they could do great cricket talks and cricket uh, cricket talks in the evening so i love i love watching it and hearing about it but as i say i'm a phony because i just can't play at all useless it's very much like racing it's very historical sport yeah i mean that's that's so that's a wonderful thing about it you know the more the more racing and cricket are both the same in that the more you dig into it you know, not I mean, not just not just in depth on the present day, but the more you dig into it, going back, the more you enjoy it. And you know, you'd be I don't I don't think you can be a true racing man without, you know, we, we, you know, yeah, it's a while since Lester Piggott's been riding. It's a while since the Gordon Richards, you know, long time since the Gordon Richards been riding. And he, he retired, you know, 50, 12 years before I was born or something. But you know, if a racing man, if if your pulse doesn't quicken a little bit by the names of the greats of the past and um, you know, if you're if if you're cricket, if you love cricket, and you know Harold Larwood and Don Bradman and Keith Miller and names names like that don't don't excite you, then you know you're you're not really a cricket man. It's no, I I, I always loved history at school and um, the sports I love. I love the history of them too. Well, that's good to hear. And now you've been training for 25 years, and for people who are listening to this show who are not from the UK. Can you let us know what it's like training in Newmarket? It, well, it would spoil you for training anywhere else. I really, it would be a step down to go anywhere else because it is so, so easy. It would be much harder to train anywhere else. Well, basically, all you have to do is organising organize your stabling within the town. Don't need to worry about your training facilities because there's two, there's part of the heath on either side of the town and two and a half thousand acres with every facility you could possibly want you just need to organize stabling within riding distance of the heath and then get permission from the jockey club to use the heath and the jockey club mate it run on a sort of communal system that everyone pays per horse i think it's it's about 100 just over 130 pounds plus fat per month for each horse which sounds a lot but nowadays everything costs money and you know that's four and a half pounds a day for just 
unlimited access to the best training grounds in the world is, is a steal. And the great thing about it is if you're training a dozen horses in a little yard around the street corner, or you've, you've got 200 horses in one of the really showpiece yards, you've got exactly the same facilities. You ride up to the heath and you just go where you want. And, you know, the the best horse in Newmarket and the worst horse in Newmarket have got, and the, the most valuable and the least valuable have got access to exactly the same facilities. And you, you'll have people say, oh, more than 2,000 horses in training, isn't it just chaos on the heath? But the heath is two and a half thousand acres and the sort of window of training is six hours in the morning. You know, there'll be horses using the heath at six, there'll be horses using the heath at 12. So you spread that large amount of horses out, spread them out over two and a half thousand acres and over six hours. You can go at times on the various parts of the heath and hardly see another horse. It's just, it's just horse heaven and you've got so many farriers, good farriers in the town just around the corner. You've got the best vets you could possibly have two outstanding veterinary hospitals horse transport firms it's it's just so easy it's just so very very easy and you know going back to what i say if you love if you love history the icing on the cake is you've got the whole history of the sport on your doorstep well it sounds like you're living and working in the uh, best place what does the future hold for john berry well when i started training is i had no lofty ambitions but my ambition was to survive for five years I've now done survive for five batches of five years. This is my 26th year. That'd be nice to survive another, you know, get up, survive the sixth batch of five years, get up to 30 years. But just to keep going, really, yeah, it's, it's not easy. To be honest, as a small trainer, you pretty much, it's very, very hard to balance the books. And I'm lucky enough that I own the property and I'm hands on. If I wasn't, if it wasn't case that both of those two things applies it would be a borderline impossible to balance the books but yeah just to keep just to keep going really and i mean obviously want to train a few winners and if you never train a winner realistically you're not going to keep going but you know so as i say train some winners both for the both for that one percent of sheer relation and also from the fact that it's been having a certain degree of success is essential to get confidence behind you to, for people to send you horses but no just keep going really I'm, I'm lucky to do what I do and if I can do it a bit longer yeah I, I'm very lucky to have done it for this long if I can do it for if I can do it for a while longer then that's great you know whether that's whether that's a bit longer or a long time longer but I just like to keep doing what while I while I've got my health and I'm able to do what I'm doing now if I can keep doing it then that's grand well let's hope you can John uh, you have more of those one percenters uh, Roy Rocket makes it 10 at uh, Brighton hopefully next year or even 10, 10 wins this year and um, thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion and the best of luck for the rest of the season and hopefully you get a few more winners Well hope springs eternal in the human breast. No thank you very much Stephen I've enjoyed this. Thank you very much Thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud Stitcher and Spotify Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pad. Sports Social Podcast Network.